Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. It's my privilege to share God's word with you today. And as we get into it together, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand, right? I just want you to think about it. How many of you like the feel-good sports movie? Right, the feel-good sports movie. You don't need to raise your hand uh, because I already know this. I would say a majority of us like the feel-good sports movie. I mean, after all, what's there not to like? Right, they're motivational, they're inspirational. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. We watch them and guess what happens? We feel good. And because of that, most people love these types of movies, including my wife. This past week, we got out of town, we, we drove quite a ways just to get away, isolate ourselves and just have some good conversation. And on the way, I was starting to work on my sermon or working on my sermon, I should say. And so I looked at her and I said, well, one, do you like feel-good sports movies and, and what's your favorite? Now, the first one I should know because we have been married for quite a while, so that's on me. But the, the second one, she said, you know what I really like, I've always really liked remembering the Titans and Miracle and Facing the Giants. And she would have probably just kept listing off a hundred of these films, but I stopped her and said, hey, you know, favorite kind of means one. But, but anyways, the reason she could say so many is because the bottom line is, they're all the same, aren't they? In fact, this is why, even though I love sports, I'm not probably the biggest fan of feel-good sports movies because once you've seen one, you've seen them all. They're all great, they're well-written, they're well-acted, the story is amazing, but you already know what's gonna happen before you even pop in the movie or before you go to your streaming service, right? You know what's gonna happen. There's an individual, there's a team, there's some obstacle they have to overcome. And what do they do? They work hard, they become more dedicated, and then they overperform, right? They win the big game or they win the championship. That is the story of every feel-good sports movie. Think Rudy, think Rocky, think the Mighty Ducks, right? It's all the same stuff. Now, to show my cards, I do have a favorite feel-good sports movie, even though they're all the same. My favorite feel-good sports movie is The Mighty Ducks because I'm, I'm from Minnesota, I like hockey. And the story of The Mighty Ducks is this ragtag peewee hockey team, they're low income and they are just not talented whatsoever. They're horrible. They're horrible, they're horrible. And everyone beats them handily. But what happens? They work hard, they become dedicated, and they win the championship. Right, you guys know the story because that's the story of every good feel-good sports movie. So what if we took out some of those key components of those movies? Right, what if we took it out, it made it less predictable? Right, imagine this, there's a team, they're underperformers, right? They're not really getting their act together, they're not doing well, they're not winning. They get a new coach, he sees their potential. 
He casts new vision, right? You guys are winners on the inside. All we have to do is work hard and be dedicated. He buys them new uniforms because for some reason in every one of those movies, they get some new uniforms and that makes them better, right? That's the turning point. We've got some new clothes and then they win, right? That's, that's the normal story. But in this story, he buys them the new uniforms, but the problem is they didn't work hard. They weren't dedicated. They thought good enough was good enough, right? And they never got better. And so they underperformed because they actually got worse because everyone else was getting better. And then they did not win the big game. And they definitely did not win the championship because they didn't come close to the championship. Now, if we took that unpredictable sports movie and we got the best writer and the best director and this big Hollywood budget, right? And, and all these actors that everyone knows and we put them in this film and we put them into our local AMC, guess what would happen? It would bomb, right? They would not make any money because that type of storyline does not sell because that type of storyline in our lives doesn't work. Today, we're moving on to part three of our sermon series, I Promise. And in this sermon series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at a central promise of God that he promises to provide, right? He promises to provide for us. But the question we're really wrestling with is how, right? How does he provide for us? So today we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians, and we're actually going to look at kind of a, a rah-rah speech, if you will, or maybe a come-to-Jesus speech, more like, from Coach Paul. You might know him as the Apostle Paul, but today he's Coach Paul to us. And then this is what he says. This is where he begins. He says, now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts off and he says, we command, which gives us an idea that he's not alone, right? He's with a young man named Timothy and another guy named Silas. So I want to paint a picture for you of, of what you're seeing. Imagine a locker room, right? Imagine a locker room. There's a team there and the coach comes in. This is Paul in this context, right? He's the head coach. He's going to do all the talking. And then next to him come the assistant coaches. So they come up. Timothy's on one side. Arms are crossed. Silas on the other side. His arms are crossed, right? This is a, a serious conversation. And we know it's a serious conversation because what does he say? He says, we command. What he doesn't say is, hey, it would be nice if you guys could. Wouldn't you consider? Right, if you could just do that, that'd be great. No, he says, no, we command. This is the option. This is what we're going to do. You're either all in, you're all out. This is the option, right? This is the command. But despite that serious tone, Paul loves these guys. And we know that he loves this church. And we know that, that by, by connection, he loves us because he says the word beloved, right? He cares for them. He loves them. He wants them to thrive. And he knows what they're doing right now is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it in life. And it's definitely not going to cut it for the kingdom of God. So he gets right to the truth and says, this is what I need you to do. In fact, he even adds another weight to it, right? He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're serious, but we love you. And Jesus loves you, but he's serious too. So let's figure out what he wants. Let's figure out why he's so serious. Well, this is what he says next. To keep away from believers. Now, you know this already. You know there's something coming after that. 
But despite what's coming after this statement, it's kind of an interesting statement. It's kind of a weird statement. It kind of throws us off balance a little bit. Because he says, keep away from believers. And you're probably thinking, but isn't all of Scripture pointing us to the fact that we should be together? We should gather. We're a family of faith. Instead of rejecting people, we should be embracing people and loving people and caring for people, right? We're the family. We're brothers and sisters through, through Christ. And that's true, right? That's the beauty of the gathering. We're family. We're friends. We care for each other. We inspire each other. We help each other. But despite that, Paul says there's some instances where we actually have to break that fellowship. This is what he says. He says, keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they receive from us. So there's two types of believers that, that Paul says we should, we should break that fellowship. The first one is, is those who are idle, right? The, the lazy people is what he's saying, right? Break fellowship with the lazy people. And then the second one, he says, those who are not keeping the tradition. Now, what he's not saying is traditional, right? What, like we might think of it, like I have to wear an alb and, and stole like the robe and all that stuff. And we don't have to sing hymns. That's not what he's saying because those weren't even around then, right? What he's saying is the traditions, the teachings of the apostles handed down by Jesus. So what he's saying is stay away from those who are lazy and stay away from those who have false teachings, right? Who teach false doctrine. In the church, we call that heresy, right? These are the two types of people that we should avoid. Now, when we hear these two options, right? We hear these two types of people. The second one makes a lot of sense to us. Right? It makes a lot of sense to us. We're a Bible-believing church. We believe that the Bible from front to back is God's word to us and for us. And so we don't ignore parts because they're inconvenient or they're awkward or we don't understand them. We don't take out parts because we don't like them, right? All of Scripture is God's truth to us. And so we get that, right? We own that as a church. And we know that if people want to avoid spots because they're inconvenient or they're hard to explain or they just don't like what it says, that's a real issue for us. And you can see where we could break fellowship from somebody who's doing that, right? Someone's teaching something false. But when it comes to people being lazy, that's interesting because that doesn't seem like it's nearly on the same level because yeah, that can be annoying and that can be an irritation but how can these two be the same? But this is what Paul is doing. Paul is creating an interesting, aggressive parallel. You see, this is the last time we'll actually hear about false teaching. What he's doing intentionally is to point at something you know is bad and then elevating something that you might not see as bad to the same level. See, what Paul is saying is laziness is a sin. He's not just saying it's a sin. He's saying it's a serious sin, just like heresy, right? Just like having false teaching in the church or being a false teacher, right? He puts them on the same level, and this is amazing. This means that if Paul was here and he was like our administrative pastor, right, overseeing me or something of that nature, that means that he would be just as upset with me if I came up here and taught a false doctrine, right? If I said something like, Jesus isn't real, right? He'd be just as mad at me about that and he'd want to kick me out of the church just as much about that than if he walked into my office instead of working that week, I decided to watch Netflix all week, right? 
That's the level that Paul is lifting this. And the reason that Paul is lifting it to this level is because Paul loves us. And because Paul took his mission and our mission very seriously. Paul does not want us to waste our life. So he moves on. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. So Paul starts setting up now a spectrum, right? Before he says, stay away from the lazy people, right? They're over here, but imitate me. Now, obviously the implication is that he's the hard worker in this spectrum, right? There's a spectrum. He says, imitate me. Now, why would he say that? Because Paul knows what your mom knows and what your dad knows and what grandpa knows and grandma knows that we naturally become like those we are around, which is why when you're in high school, you remember that some of you guys are in high school. So you're like, I just heard this last night, actually. They told you don't hang out with those friends because they will influence you, right? You will become like them. And this actually never changes. It's not just only true in high school, it's, it's true all the way through our entire lives. We naturally become like people, we naturally become like people who we are around. And you've experienced this in work, haven't you? Right, you, you've worked in a, a work culture where everyone was just good enough. And even though you were, you were destined for greatness, right, you wanted to work hard, there was this underwhelming undertow. And sooner or later, your work dropped, your work plummeted. Or maybe that didn't happen to you, but you just left because you could not tolerate it. Or remember back in high school, your teacher gave you a, a group project and you were the A student and she matched you up with the D student or the F student. And before you knew it, guess what happened? You were doing all the work and then you got sick of it and you thought, forget it. I guess I'll just take my C. I guess I'll just take my D. Or you're on that sports team in high school and you thought, you know, we could be really, really, really good, but your teammates didn't really care. And you were okay. And people remembered you maybe for that season, but they don't talk about you anymore. You see how we naturally just move in the direction of the people that we're around? Now, in all these contexts, these do not have eternal consequences. But for Paul, it was all about the eternal. It was all about our faith. And this is what he knew. As believers, if we go near people who take their faith seriously, guess what's gonna happen? Our faith will get elevated. But if we surround ourselves by people who are doing just enough to keep the label Christian, we will naturally get pulled down to their level. And Paul doesn't wanna see us in that space. So he says, imitate me, right? Look at me and become like me. In fact, he goes on and explains even more. He says, we were not idle when we were with you and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. So he says, look at me, look at us, right? Look at Timothy, look at Silas, look at me, right? Look at us. We are not lazy. In fact, look at our lives. These are the things that we did. When we received bread from somebody, we always paid for it, right? We, didn't, we weren't mooches, right? We didn't take handouts. We always paid for it. And we worked hard day and night, day and night. You see, Paul was a hard worker. 
Right? Paul was the hardest worker in the room. The reason he was the hardest worker in the room is because he wanted people to follow his example. He knew that if people mirrored his life, he wanted that reflection that came back to him to be something that he was proud of, something that was going to change the kingdom. Well, he continues. This is not because we did not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. So Paul's talking about all the things that he's doing, right? Not paying or not uh, receiving free bread and working long hours. He says, not that I didn't have that right, because in a different book he writes, it's in Timothy, he writes, a, a worker, a laborer is worth their pay. Now we get this, right? Because that's what work is, right? You exchange your time and your talent, and then at the end you get a paycheck, right? That's what work is, right? We have that exchange in our world, so we get that. But what Paul's talking about is he's talking specifically about people in ministry, pastors and missionaries and different staff members on a church. What he's saying is, yeah, if they work hard, they deserve pay. In fact, if they work, they deserve pay, right? That's what he's saying. But what he did was different. He wanted to be so far above reproach, he didn't want anyone to accuse him of doing it for the money that he did not receive. He did not take any money, right? He didn't take any handouts. Now, why would he do this? Because he knew that if he modeled this and people became just a shadow of what he was, they would be amazing for the kingdom, right? They'd be amazing in life. Paul was the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And if people just became a shadow of what he was, if we just became a shadow of what Paul was, we would change the world. That's the type of person Paul was. Well, he continues. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. So, so far in a few short verses, Paul has said a couple of things that really throw us off, right? He commands us to stay away from lazy believers, one, which is uncomfortable and different and, and probably a new teaching to a lot of us. And then he says this, right? Those who do not work should not eat, which seems hyper-aggressive, which seems really mean. It doesn't seem Christian. So Paul, what, what is Paul thinking, right? What is, what is running around his mind? You see, what Paul knows is that work is a gift from God. Work is a gift from God. In fact, even the things that allow you to work are gifts from God, right? He gives you time and he gives you talent. And what is work? Work is the exchange of your time and your talent for the treasure, right? It's for your paycheck. And when you use your time and talent for the treasure, guess what happens? The provision that God gives you of your time and talent creates the provision you need to live life. And so you take that treasure and you provide for yourself and you provide for your family and you provide for your church family and you provide for those who unfortunately don't have the ability to work, right? Maybe they've been hurt or something like that and we care for them. We use that treasure to benefit ourselves from God's gift and the world. But the way Paul says it, it's really aggressive. But it's really aggressive because this is what Paul knows. If you don't make people work and you provide for all their needs, 
that is not a good incentive for them to do something in this life. And Paul does not want us to waste our lives. So in Paul's mind, if you got hungry enough, you were going to work, right? You're going to make something of yourself. You were going to accomplish something in this world because he knew that God had provided so that we could have the provision that God wants us to have. Well, Paul moves on. He says, for we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, and not doing any work. So Paul, he gets word back, right? Someone is telling Paul that things are not going well, that people are lazy, they're taking advantage of people, some people aren't working, and it just doesn't seem to resolve itself. Well, who do you think is telling Paul this? You already know. The people doing all the work, right? The people who are working extra hard to provide for the people who aren't working at all, and they finally have gotten sick of it. They've gotten frustrated. They're done with it. So they go to Paul, and they say, Paul, what are you going to do? We need this resolved. And so Paul comes back, right? The coach steps into the room. He's got to correct the direction of the team. And he says this, stop being lazy, right? Stop being lazy and work. Because to not work is an affront to the creator who's giving you the time and the talent to produce the treasure. So, as we think about how God provides for us, one of the ways that we see in everyday life that God provides for us is by giving us our time and our talents. And it's from those time and talents that we get the treasure to provide for ourselves, provide for our family, to provide for our church community, and to provide for those in need. So, if your life was a feel-good sports movie, would be a blockbuster hit with all the classic elements of the feel-good sports movie? Or would it be a box office bomb? Because you missed that key component that makes the movie.